This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Again, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And the church says, amen. amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Man, you may be seated. If you was here last week, what you, what you, what you see what we're doing here is this is part two on this same text. Last week, Pastor Aaron um, entered in and, and preached through this text. And, and this text right here, um, this it covers a topic that has, has so much cultural tension because of um, the abuse and idolatry that is often used or manipulated inside of this text. And it caused so much hurt, so much pain, so much confusion, because people are trying to wrestle through, like, what does this really mean? And they've seen really bad things, and it, it creates this atmosphere. Where, so what people do is, like, try to, like, either just avoid the text, don't preach on it, don't really read it. I don't really know what it is, but even though there's things that are confusing, God is always good. And his word is always true. So Pastor Aaron came in last week, and I'm thankful for the Lord giving him discernment of some things that needed to be done first, right? Because sometimes when you're planting seeds, you need to till the ground so that it can properly receive the seeds. You need to prep it to properly receive you. Sometimes you can't just come out of the and just toss it out. So understanding the, the soil of this culture that most of us are, are living in and, and experiencing. He, he came in and did something very wise. He, he came and started to shift us from 
hearing the scripture through the idolatrous language of culture. That's where the danger is. Scripture isn't off, but the, the, the language of the culture that we find ourselves in is, is, is often, often what we start to do is read Scripture through that language. Now, that carries a bunch of issues with it. He talked about this pyramid. And that was symbolic to, to, to the structure of things here in culture, this culture that we live in. And in this pyramid, those that had power and authority, those who had positions of, of, of authority, they was on the top of the pyramid. It was it's small on the pyramid, and, and they maintained their power up there. And then at the bottom of the pyramid, the base where things got, got bigger, that's where most of the other people were who, who didn't have as much power and authority, but wanted to get up so they can get power and authority, but those on the top would maintain their, their power and authority and try to push back down. And, and this is this, this, this cycle of this pyramid that you find inside culture today that we read this text in. People that had titles that, that signified who was on top and who was on bottom. So he started to shift our our minds to hearing the scripture in the covenant language of the kingdom. Yeah. Ah, this is how you read scripture. This is how you read the text. And what he did is he showed us this circle. Like instead of a triangle, here's this, this circle. This circle that represents the covenant relationship between us and God. Not this pyramid where... Who, he, here's the people that are on top and here's the people that are, that are on bottom, but here's this circle and this relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, us, and we're drawn into this, this circle, and this is a covenant right here. And this is the lens that you need to read this text through. Jesus was always challenging these cultural lenses inside of his own disciples. In Luke 22, his disciples get into an argument. A couple of them get into the argument about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And he hears them, and he hears them trying to process through this pyramid lens. And, and, and he checks them on it, and he says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them or called benefactors, they benefit from it. But not so with you. Right. Not so with you. You're not a part of that kingdom. You're part of this one. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Yeah. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And ain't none of y'all greater than me. But yet, here's what I'm doing. I'm among you as the one who serves. And he, he's trying to shift their lenses so that they understand this is a covenant that's going on here. Titles and roles don't signify who is on the top and who's on the bottom or who submits to who. Instead, they signify the distinct way in which one submits to another. 
the distinct way in which we each submit to one another. He talks about this, this, this mutual submission. Because sometimes people read this text and it's like they forget right before he goes in, he says, submit one to another. And then he goes in and explains this thing. There's a mutual submission that's happening. Here's what we got to understand. Even though he's talking about mutual submission, mutual submission is not about sameness. Even though he's talking about mutual submission, mutual submission is not about sameness. You see, we are called to submit to one another in distinct ways, distinct ways that are tied to how God has called us to serve one another. These distinct ways. They're always using this language of the body inside of Scripture. So let me just give you sort of an example. It's sort of like, it's sort of like the hand wants to go pick this, this thing up, and the way the foot serves the hand is carrying the foot over to it. Or the hand, or, or, or the foot, the foot gets served by the hand because the foot is cold, so what the hand does is pull some socks up over it. These distinct ways, because the foot isn't going to be able to pull the sock up by its own. And both are serving the head who's serving the body. The head who's saying, feet, take the hands over here to grab this. Hands put socks on the feet. The head submits to the body, and the body submits to the head. The head submits in context to his role as head. And the body submits in context to her role as body. But both are submitting in ways that serve the other. This is important to get here. You see, when we start to go into the gospel, what you'll see here is this. The gospel takes the broken systems of culture that abuses power and authority and turns it on its head. Everything gets messed up. Everything that you thought is supposed to go like this is supposed to go like that. And you've been trying to work it out in your own strength, but it takes everything, even your responses to it, and turns it on its head. And he doesn't do that by taking away positions of authority and power. That's not how he does it. He doesn't come and say, all right, no one has these type of positions no more. Nobody has this. Instead, what he does is he comes in and he's, he makes God the center of worship, yes. not power. Makes God the center of worship, not control, because when power and control and authority and headship and, and all these type of titles, when those things are the center of worship, then you will do things that reflects your worship. But he says... When God is the center of your worship, then all these things become tools to worship God. He has all power and all control. And he gives you power and authority under his stewardship, under his leadership. and makes you stewards of, of what's his. 
He's taking us through this process of of rehumanizing, a process of refamilying, and he redefines what headship looks like by showing us how power and authority is used in the kingdom. You see, we think about this pyramid and As someone who is a part of um, a group of people ethnically that found themselves at the bottom of the pyramid and bought into the idea where here's what the culture is saying, do everything you can to claw your way up to the top of that pyramid, right? And, and, because you want to get somewhere. And, and so I can identify to, to that area, but there's something else about me, though. You see... There's something else about me that, that, that for many put me a little bit higher up inside that pyramid and put them a little bit lower according to culture, and that's the fact that I'm a man, that I'm a husband, that I'm a pastor, and I have these titles and positions of authority. So these verses speak to me very, very personally. And... There are distinct ways that husbands submit to and serve our wives through the position of head. Distinct ways where God calls us to submit one to another, and there is a distinct way in which you do this. But you have to have a kingdom vision of headship, though. This world can't be influencing you and giving you your cues of what headship looks like, but the kingdom has to. Jesus has to. Last week, Pastor Aaron was starting in, and he's, he was showing us verse 28 when it says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves Himself. He had to ask the question, what is this same way? In the same way as of what? Because something was described to make an example or a picture and say, okay, in the same way, husband loves your wives as yourself. You got to look at verses 25, 26, and 27. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the same way he's talking about. And I want to look at some of these things because as Paul is is writing this thing out and he wants people to understand how we live in fellowship with one another and he uses this example of of, of marriage. He's like, listen, one of the things you you pull out of here, and and, and like I said, and I want to talk in a way that's like, because the Lord has really been working inside of, of my heart. One of the things he says is, You see here, he gave himself up for her. Husbands use our authority to give of ourselves. 
You look at Jesus, and it's like he's, he's given the, all this power and all this authority, and, and, but he, he, he uses it to give of himself to his bride. And I, and I get it. This is, this is counter what culture said because the way how things are in culture, those who have this position of head and that, like what happens is it's expected that others give towards them. And he said, no, 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 no. You give towards That's why you're here, to give towards them. That he may sanctify her. Husbands use our headship for the sake of our wives' good. Here's why you're positioned here. For the sake of, 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 of our wives' good, not for our own sake, for our own benefit, but so that she may be sanctified. See, there is an intricate role we play in her sanctification, and God has equipped and positioned us for it. An intricate role. You, you see God, a, a loving father, and he's, 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 he's connecting these dots the way that he sees fit. And the fact that she needs to be sanctified says that there is a fallenness about her. There is a brokenness about her. That her heart has been soiled with sin and it creates this, this broken, this, this un, dishonorable reality and need for cleansing through Jesus. And God accounts for that by covering her through your headship. It's a loving father that's loving his daughter. But the question is, how does that look? Now, He described this, how does this look? And he's just giving out these examples of things. And he says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I want to I just share, like, how this speaks to me because I'm looking at this and having, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word and, and in some commentary they say this may be talking about, about baptism and, and, and I'm praying and I'm reading through and, and what the Lord is making jump off the page to me as I'm reading through is that now this is, this is more so talking about foot washing. Jesus as the word of God, the head, the husband, using his authority and power, serving his disciples, the church, his wife, by washing her feet. He sees, he sees the filth and he wraps the servant's towel around his waist and he begins to serve the husband who has the word of God, who is the word of God, was serving his bride by cleansing and washing her feet. Ah, in that text, he's washing their feet. And, and as he's washing their feet and he, he's, he's going down, he gets to Peter and Peter freaks out. Peter freaks out and he freaks out for two reasons. One, because feet were considered more dishonorable inside of those times because of how filthy they were. 
Like, like that, because even in, in other texts in Corinthians, and they talking about the body and saying, telling the, the, the foot to not to consider yourself less because you're not the hand. So A, it was considered more filthy, more dirty. And then B, he was still processing through the idolatrous language of culture. It didn't make sense for him. How could you, you, the king, how could you be washing my feet? That doesn't make sense. There's a servant over there. They can do it. I'm not having you do it. But Jesus' response to him was, you don't let me serve you this way. You have no part in my kingdom. Why? Because this is the way of the kingdom, submitting to one another in covenantal love. You have to get this. I want to I bring this down closer so you, could, you can get how the Lord was just showing it to me. Like, listen, those things that, that, that bother us about, about our wives, those glimpses of, of brokenness, glimpses of sin-stained hearts, reflections of soiled hearts that we try to avoid and do everything to, come, to get around to reject and run away from. You can't handle it. It seems a little bit too crazy. You don't know what to do about it. And, and, but that's glimpses of a broken heart. And that's the brokenness that Jesus was tending to when he was washing his disciples' feet. He becomes a covering. In the midst of that, when that hits, you don't take flight. You submit and you serve in the brokenness. Paul is saying, he calls us to serve our wives in their brokenness like Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. That's when he, he wraps a towel around his waist and he goes to work. And he says, why, why, why? So that she may be presented holy without spot or wrinkle, not because she is perfect, but because you are one. And God has deposited himself inside of you and, and, and positioned you to cover her weakness. That's why you have this position of head and this covenantal submission one to another. The Lord is himself is serving her by positioning you. distinct ways, distinct ways that we serve one another. And, and Paul is, is unpacking this and he's just bringing these, these things out, talking about what the fellowship looks like. And even as you think about these distinct ways a husband is called to serve, there's also distinct ways that, that wives submit to and serve their husbands specifically as wives. Now, I remember over 21 years ago, 21 years ago, and what I'm about to tell you, I want to start by saying it's completely true. I was in the hood, right? 
And I was walking down the block like this. That's how I was walking, right? And then as I was walking like that, I seen this, this fine young honey sitting over there in the corner. And I was like, you know what's up? She wrote a number down on a paper, jetted over to me, gave me the number and says, I'm in love. I'm going to marry you. And I said, I knew you was going to say that, girl. That's exactly how it went. Nothing, nothing different at all, right? <laughs> Don't ask it, though. Don't, just take my word for it. But I tell you, man, my wife, Rashida, is my absolute best friend. I love her with all of my heart, man. And God has used her so much in his process of sanctification inside of my life. Like, I've seen God love me so much through her humble submitting to God over and over and over again and how she loves me. So I'm thinking about writing this thing out, and, and I'm like, well, let, let, me, let me go to her and ask her to give me a couple of cues on what this looks like and, and what should I say. But I'm like, you know what? Let me just ask her to come up yeah, come and share for herself. I want to introduce my, my fine honey, Deb, right here. I think we need to hook him up to a lie detector test every time he tells that story. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so I just thank God for this opportunity. I know this is such a, a weighty topic um, concerning wives, and it has been for me as well. It's something that God is still working in me, and I haven't arrived to, but, um, you know, just striving you know, as you ladies are, and um, just praying that I will, you know, be perfect according to God's will. So the things that God has just given me concerning this, I'm going to just read it again. Um, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So um, that particular scripture, like I said, has always been difficult because I'm a contextual learner. I basically, um, if it doesn't make sense to me, you know, I don't accept it, I don't agree with it, and I struggle with it. And so it's always been something that, you know, I've looked at as, okay, as he deserves it or as he earns this role. But God was like, no, that's not what I've given you to do. And um, the way God gave it to me was just that, you know, don't think about it as an ideal thing to do. You know, this is, it doesn't have to make sense to you. You know, I'm perfect. I'm all-knowing. I know exactly why I've given this um, for you to do. And, and as I've come to just learn um, just, you know, what biblical submission is all about is that, you know, understanding that um, 
that he carries so much of a greater weight as the husband. God has given him the responsibility to love his wife as Christ loved the church and Christ gave himself for the church. So he carries that in. So, you know, me as his helpmeet, I have an opportunity to validate him and encourage him and, um, you know, and, and just, you know, affirm that, that title and that, that ministry that God has given to him. And that comes through my willingness to submit. And as I submit, I submit as unto God. You know, it's not unto his perfection or whether he gets it right. Um, also where it says um, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands Um, another area that I struggled in was doing it completely instead of just saying okay I'll submit over here because in this area he's doing good at um, but in this other area no I'm I'm still going to just you know do my own thing but that was not you know complete surrender to God and my half-hearted surrender to Jesus as Lord it resulted in me deciding to do that. And God deserves our full surrender. He doesn't deserve any half-heartedness um, in our worship unto him. Um, also, um, you know, God showed me that this was my submitting to him was not the end game. It was not just something that was you were doing as a means unto it to himself, but it was something that is just a sacrificial worship that heralds God's lordship over my life. And it basically just proclaims that. It says, okay, um, it's not about him. God loves him and God is for him, but it wasn't about him. It's about God. He has a greater plan in place. And when I seen it from that perspective, it really motivated me all the more that, you know, not only just loving and serving my husband, um, but, you know, just serving unto God who has done so much for my life. Like, how can I not, you know, surrender and worship him in this area of my life? Um, And also God knew, he knew the brokenness that was going to be in the world. It's not like he just, it was an afterthought and maybe he thought about it afterwards, like maybe that wasn't a good idea. He knew that men was going to abuse it and take advantage of it, and um, and he's understanding of that. You know, in in the right context, obviously, us as wives, um, God knew that we would still be able to attain to that. We would still be able to worship Him because God living as in us empowers us. We're not, you know, defined by society or culture or anything, but God gives us that strength to do what everyone else deems as impossible to do. So as wives, we are called into the greater reality of the kingdom as covenantal bearers. Again, and not as what society tells us as wives we are to be, the strong one, the one just taking, you know, wearing the pants and, you know, that is not God's way, that is not his will. We're actually channeling our strength the right way when we do it as unto God, the way he designed us as women to be. See, that's why. <laughs> she like mic drop, like psh, I'm out. <laughs> I love that lady, man, so so much, babe. <laughs> I think about, man. I, I remember, 
I remember there was something that the Lord was like, that I, I, I sort of, I just botched it on, and I wasn't leading in it the way that, that God had called me to lead. And, 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 and my wife just picked up the slack and started leading inside of it and stuff and started doing it. And I got so comfortable with it. And then, like, the Lord started to check me on it. And I, re, I remember, like, I wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And I remember coming, talking to my wife about it, you know, but she had gotten used to just leading in it. So it became a point of tension. And, and it, it but she goes to the Lord, right? And she goes, and, and it became a point of tension, and I was like, I, I, I tried. And, like, I just went, like, cool. I don't have to worry about that and stuff. But then she goes to the Lord, and the Lord is like, you're not trusting me well. And she comes back, repents, and confesses. This is what the Lord said to me. I'm, gonna, I'm going to give that thing over to you. And here's the deal. Like, when she did that, a weight came onto me that should have been there from the get-go. A weight that sort of synced me back up with him, right? It, where, where, where it wasn't like, hey, let me do this victory dance, and, and yo, I win. I, I even care more so about her opinion and thoughts on it, even more now than before. And it was like, God is doing something. Paul closes this thing out and he says, and the two shall become one. And he connects it to Genesis 2 and 24 when he says, then two shall become one flesh. He, he quotes Genesis 2 and 24 and, and that's the creational narrative right there. Right. And it's crazy, like, it's, it's not just this, this a happenstance that inside that creational narrative, the, the theme or narrative that comes right after that is the fall. Right. right after the two becoming one and being one flesh. And as Paul is fleshing this thing out, he points out that this, this, this unity in Christ is a return to God's creational agenda. And you see this fall marked by the separation of God and man, man and one another, man and creation. And Paul is, 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 is walking this thing out. And one of the things he's pointing out is how earthly marriage points to something greater. Yes. Yes. It points to something way greater. And he says in 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And he calls it a mystery because marriage is mysterious. I can't figure it out. I can't put my finger on it. Things just don't add up mathematically. It's all this undeserved grace. And why is this person doing that person? doing? And all of it, it doesn't make sense. And it's confusing to those who don't understand the covenant. So he says it's profound. And that word profound means it penetrates past the surface. Ah, hallelujah. He says, this is the best earthly example that I can give to talk about Christ in the church, marriage. It's so mysteriously profound. But let me tell you about the author real quick. Sometimes knowing about the author gives you a little bit of context, right? See, no one understands this. Paul writes this, and he talks so richly about marriage, and he's single. As a single person, he's, he's, he's 
blown away by the beautiful symbol of the kingdom displayed in marriage. And he's not speaking from a married person's point of view. But yet, he understands the way of marriage better than most married people because he is married. Get this. Because he is married. He's married to the Lord. He's like, okay, I can use this example because all I got to do is talk about covenant. That's all I got to do. This cannot can make sense. He knows and understands, like, my relationship with Jesus, my covenant relationship with Jesus is not an example of your marriage. Your marriage is supposed to be an example of this covenant relationship with Jesus. So if I'm going to, I could just talk about covenant. And if you can catch covenant all the way through this thing, what he's doing them is, is he's giving them glimpses of what covenant looks like. That's all he's doing inside of this text. This is what it takes for us to be and work together as a family and live together as a family. He knows marriage is only a symbol of the covenant that he already has in Christ. And he's totally blown away at the opportunity to live into that reality even without the symbol. Uh-huh. Come on, man. And I love it. I love it. I love it because he could do this thing and in his singleness find complete wholeness because of the covenant they have with God and then turn around and use that covenant as an example to talk to even the marriage people. You'll get this. Because we're all drawn into that exact same covenant. I'm just talking about the relationship here. As we get ready for communion and prayer, he does all of that. Talks about how this, this, this greater picture that, it, that it point towards, and then he closes out. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let this, your wife see that she respects her husband. And it's sad that in, a lot, in, in, in culture, we, we separate the words submit, love, and respect as, as three different things. You can't love without respect, and you can't respect without love. And all of these become tools to submit to one another and reflect the relationship of the covenant. And this world teaches us to submit means to tap out to give up, to admit defeat, to, it's like this point of powerlessness where Paul said that they've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heaven, so they submit from a place of empowerment. We submit one to another with the fullness of God inside of us, living inside of us by his spirit, so this submission becomes a reflection of that relationship Something that's done, we was talking on Saturday, and one of the things Dominique said, where's she at? I told her I was going to, she's not inside here. I said, right? <laughs> Submitting is voluntary. It doesn't come from a place of oppression, from a thumb being over you. Listen. I want us to understand this. 
what Paul is saying to them, what he's saying to us. As we get ready for communion, know this, God is calling us to submit to him. Even as we look at this communion table, it represents what Christ did with his power and authority. I'll go to the cross. I'm going to give myself for them. That's what he did. That, 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 that point where, he, where he, he washed his their feet, right before that it says he thought about all the power that he had. And then with that, decided to wash their feet. So when we come to this table today, and we grab as, as family members, family members, those that have accepted Christ, and we grab this cup and the juice that represents his blood that he, he gave, the bread that represents his body that he gave, that he demonstrated this is what it looks like. I want to encourage you to pray. Ask God to show you areas you need to submit to him in. Oh, you may even need to repent to somebody. And some of us will be over here ready to pray with you. You may need some prayer. But let's submit. Let's break bread with one another. And let's submit some more and give of worship and praise to our great God. The tables are open. Let's worship our King. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.